0: Welcome to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast with today's guest, Brett Ryan Stewart, who gives us a look into life with diabetes and OCD. If you're new to the show, welcome and thanks for stopping by. My name is Amber Kluwer and I'm the co-founder of Diabetes Daily Grind and host of this, the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. I've joked in the past about being OCD when it comes to eh, my diabetes management, but have never actually met anyone within the T1D community who has an OCD diagnosis. Brett did a fabulous job of giving us a glimpse into his daily life with both conditions. But before we get started, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, I'm thrilled to finally share that I've been working on a new project and what better time to announce this adventure than Diabetes Awareness Month. I'll be sharing it with the world one day soon, but you can be the first to get all the details by signing up for my e-newsletter. Number two, the Diabetes Daily Grind is a nonprofit organization. Funds raised help keep the website, podcast, and advocacy efforts afloat. It's easy. Just click the donate link in the show notes. Number three, my affiliate and resources page feature reputable brands and services that make life with diabetes a more pleasant one. You can find all the deals at diabetesdailygrind.com. And finally, stay engaged. Love, like, share, and comment on all things social media. Sign up for my e-newsletter, leave an iTunes review, and I promise (laughs) that page will be updated soon. Subscribe to the YouTube channel and click on the Amazon banner on the website before ordering. It doesn't cost you a thing and throws a little change my way. All right, let's get started. All right, Brett, welcome to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. And so I'm going to start with where are you calling in from?
1: madison tennessee just north of nashville well thank you for joining me if you were asking this is my studio
0: i love seeing it in the background actually and so i'll be sure that the listeners get a snapshot of this prior to it being launched on the youtube channel which for the love of all things hopefully will hopefully be updated in 2022 so you can watch this podcast in addition to hearing it on normal uh podcast platforms so let's talk about i always start with your diagnosis story how old were you and how did it go down
1: I was nine and it was, a you know, it felt like it was probably only about two or three days, but it felt like an eternity of feeling sick. And I remember uh, being on the playground and getting kind of pulled aside by one of the homeroom mothers because I'd just been lethargic and kind of sitting down while everybody else was playing. I just remember not feeling well. And so they sent me home and my mom took me to the doctor but my pediatrician was out of town so and it's the only doctor i'd seen since i was born so their office referred me to some new doctor i wish i knew his name who was i mean i'm talking like right out of med school probably shouldn't have been going to this guy he without doing any running any tests he he just looked at me and given my symptoms said that i had the flu yeah. and and to give me liquids anything that i could keep down to make sure i stayed hydrated so To at that age, I think Welch's grape soda was my drink of choice. So my mom bought a six pack of that just so I could stay hydrated. And of course, as you can imagine how that went. uh, And I think probably about two days of that, I don't know what at that point I still wasn't diagnosed. So I don't know what my blood sugar was, but a six pack of grape soda with no insulin in your body. By the time I got to the hospital. So ultimately, what happened was my about a day or two later, my pediatrician came back in town. We went to see her. And she tested my blood sugar with the meter, and it just said high because that's all it said. Yeah, <laughs> it couldn't give you an accurate reading.
0: Which means it was four, It was above four hundred. I think that was the cutoff at that point because it was quite some time ago, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. This would have been nineties. Uh,
0: okay, keep going. So it re- registered high, and
1: and so it was no doubt at that point what it was. So we went to the hospital. And 981 is what it read there. Yeah. So I spent about a week in the hospital. I remember my mom, you know, the the nurse instructed my mom to take ice cubes and just run it across my lips so that they would, because they were, I was so dehydrated.
0: Were they cracked and like gross? Cracked
1: and and yeah, she would do that. And I hated water at that point. And I remember tasting Diet Coke for the first time. Well, so they start you off and this is more information than you asked for, but no. (laughs) It's okay. They started, you know, the hospital they're issued to give you is not diet coke it was diet shasta <laughs> it's just awful so my introduction to diet drinks i mean not the diet Cokes any better but diet shasta is i don't even i can't even tell you what it. I don't let know me how tell you
0: remember. this my first diet soda and this might have been in the hospital this was 1984 was tab yeah. tab i mean i don't even it was a pink can from what i remember it. so diet shasta i'm willing to bet was a step step Isn't
1: up like bobo version of dr pepper
0: I don't know. I I was just so excited to be able to drink what was a soda at the time.
1: I know. Well, that's how I I remember my mom sneaking down to the vending machine and get me an actual Diet Coke. I don't know. I mean, what would be the difference? I don't know why the nursing staff was insistent that I have diet Shasta. It's still the same garbage. She so she would sneak sneak me up a diet Coke, and then me acquiring that taste took a couple of days. I, my my brother was addicted to, and still is. Uh, he's an old my older brother. He's addicted to diet Coke. That's like his coffee. So I knew he drank it, and he was always kind of my hero. So I was like, well, his name's Mike. I called him Buddy. I said, if Buddy drinks diet Coke, I guess I can drink diet Coke. So. I quickly acquired a taste for Diet Coke.
0: Now, did Uh your brother, Buddy, did he have diabetes?
1: No, no. No, Okay, he just liked it.
0: That's crazy. That's crazy in itself.
1: (laughs) Just just a side note, he was on on a football team in high school, and I think they had to watch his weight, so he just...
0: Okay, and he still wanted the Coke. So, So you're in the hospital for about a week. Your mom's there. She's learning all the things. Two questions. One, do you feel like you got proper education as to how to manage your diabetes once you are released?
1: To be fair, I would say, given the time, the era, and where we yeah. were with diabetes, yeah. In retrospect, I'd, I'd say no.
0: Right. Okay. I'd say
1: it, it was a very condemning litany of instructions that I was sent home with, and I think a lot of people can probably identify that. Maybe even still.
0: Do you? Okay. Here's another. Okay. Wow. Condemning. Was were they giving you basically a death sentence?
1: Not a death sentence, but a enough of a scare that I was tiptoe in the death sentence if I didn't do A, B, and C. Like I remember the doctor who we we switched after a few years, once I became a teenager, to a doctor that was great and actually changed my whole perception on it. But the doctor that um, I got right out of the hospital was just like a drill sergeant and did have a tone about him. I, I very much remember his tone and it felt very stringent and somber about the diagnosis. And, and the instructions he gave my mom were basically like any uh, deviations from the plan and he's going to end up back in the hospital, you know? So, I mean, I remember coming home and watching the instructional. I, I, I don't think it hit me. I, I kind of, while I was in the hospital, I didn't feel well, but I was in and out of sleep and they were all kind of pampering me. So in a way I kind of felt, you know, as a nine-year-old, I felt kind of special. But then when I got home and they said that instructional video from JDRF about, you know, you can live a normal life and it shows a kid on a bike, but then you can't have ice cream. I think that that's when I, I lost it. I remember crying. It just hit me, you know, because suddenly I was back home yeah. and every, the new world, my my new life was being, I was, I was having to kind of swallow that.
0: You were, yeah. Well, and I got to say when I was diagnosed, the, the, when they were explaining to me what type one diabetes was, and from what I can remember, my response was, you mean no more Dr. Pepper and Snickers? Like should have hit the fan at that point when it like registered no more sugar. And those are the first things that I thought of, but um, okay. So when you leave the hospital, you were on MDI therapy, correct?
1: Yes, and man, I remember. We're
0: doing cloudy and clear, like NPH and regular.
1: I was it was NPH when I first got out of the hospital. I, I switched to Lannis okay. shortly after, but I don't remember how long. I was, it was probably a few years. Yeah, the the NPH and Humalog, or no, it was Humulin because they didn't have the fast acting Humalog. I remember when you. He- Humalog came around that was like, what? I, I can dose right before I eat instead of an hour?
0: Yeah, I mean, whoever really did that correctly, I mean, I, I give you, I I mean, I, I'm like, i blown away if you actually could make that happen
1: because... One of my but, friends yeah. later gave me the cheat code of like, oh, you can just do it after you eat, which was, I mean, you can't, you couldn't do that with Humulin, but you could do it with Humalog. And that changed everything for me because first Didn't of all... you know what you eat. I know what I eat. I'm going to eat. Yeah. And, I, and I didn't have to feel pressure to eat the, the last bite of that potato. Yeah. You know, if I wasn't hungry.
0: I got it out myself. And I didn't know because I've always been like, I do all the, the things and follow the rules. And I didn't know that you could dose afterwards. And I'm not giving medical advice. I know you weren't either, but until probably a few years ago. And it was from interviewing a podcast guest. And I'm like, oh my God, I can give a shot afterwards knowing how many carbs I just took in.
1: Amazing what you learn through the community medical community. And well, I don't know that's a knock on the medical com- community, but we're the ones living with it. So yeah, we have course. to find a way to hack it to make, it, make our life bearable. <laughs>
0: For real. And we're going to talk about hacking here in a second. So here's a question. Do you have a family history of type 1 diabetes? No. Uh-uh. Not at all. Okay. So in our previous conversation, you mentioned, correct me if I'm wrong, that your father had passed away about a year and a half prior to your diagnosis. So I'm sure there was a lot of change in your family dynamics and, yeah. and things like that. One of the things that I heard in is a trauma trigger that maybe diabetes was in the background, but having your body be so mentally stressed, physically stressed too, that that can, I'm going to say, trigger it or bring it on, whatever. Do you believe in any of that? Any conspiracy theories there? And I know it's different for every person living with the disease.
1: I mean, as far as I know, the, the, the verdict is still out and I don't... Nobody has seems to have a conclusive answer, at least not none that I've heard. So there's a lot of theories, but I do know with the COVID outbreak, the link to, to an uptick in type 1 diagnosis is it certainly makes you speculate that You know, trauma or or big life stressors could tip it off. I know, you know, you could also speculate that more people are getting diagnosed because they're getting more treatment or, you know, getting going to the doctor more as a preventative now with with maybe people are just getting diagnosed more because of that. I mean, but it does seem, you know, looking back that the link between, I mean, nine is a common, nine is a pretty common age to to be anyway, but having lost my father a year and a half or so prior. And just, I mean, my mom did a great job of kind of protecting me from the stress, but there's, it's just an undeniable.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Right
1: in the household, and I, um, so yeah. Looking back, I'd say that that had to have something to do with it.
0: Okay, so when you moved from NDI therapy, what insulin did you did you tap into insulin pump therapy, and at what
1: age? Insulin pump? Hell, I was uh, I was well into my twenties actually. My school nurse in high school was always trying it. She was really well educated on diabetes, Mrs. West. If you're still out there. We're giving you a shout out. We're getting a shout out because um she was just wonderful and was always kind of compassionately nagging me about my cause as a teenager I was pretty rampant with I wasn't taking too good of care of myself. And she saw that and then she tried there was I think maybe one or two other people at my high school that were diabetic and they were both on, on a pump and she was always trying to convince me to get on a pump. But for the same reason that most people didn't want to or don't want to, I didn't want to have something attached to me and all that. Yeah. And the big fear of it, like malfunctioning and, you know, all these things that people.
0: Yeah, generally uh, fear when
1: it comes to that. And, and I, I, I totally sympathize. So it was probably in my early 20s, I think, when I got on it. yeah. And which one did you start with? Medtronic. It Medtronic. was one of the, the version numbers, but 920 maybe. Does that sound okay. right?
0: I have no idea. I know nothing about other than the ones that have tubes and the ones that don't, the one that doesn't.
1: It had a tube. They didn't even have the the non tube ones then. It was uh, the Omnipods, which is what I'm on now. They weren't even.
0: Well, that's what I was going to ask you. So fast forward, and now you've had diabetes for quite a bit longer. What? And so, how long have you had it now at this point? 30 years? Yep. 30 years. Okay. So, what insulin therapies are you using now?
1: Well, I am still on a pump, but I'm on a looping technology. So looping has become part of the mainstream now. Some of the the big manufacturers are, are kind of implementing part of the, the looping yeah. algorithm into the new pumps and they're doing a pretty good job of it. But the online, I guess I should...
0: Process, you can say all this. Oh yeah, go ahead. Uh,
1: this is not medical advice. However, <laughs> my life has been drastically improved by this non-FDA approved technology that the community came together
0: we are not waiting
1: we are not waiting is the the hashtag and I discovered it like you were saying through one of your guests it was another one of those things that my doctor who I should also go on the record saying I haven't been to an endocrinologist in about seven years I don't recommend that I'm not it's not medical advice but as long as I've had it I feel like I know what I'm doing and I've heard a lot of uh, endocrinologists have adopted the the looping, and a lot of them have resisted and have actually refused patients who want to loop. But the looping community is based on entirely of, um, and I think, I don't even know how many they're up to, maybe 20,000 at this point. That's just on the Facebook group where most of the action happens. But this group of diabetics, there was an engineer that came to, uh, a software developer, all these people came together to make this technology. And I can just show you what this thing looks like. It's this thing called a Riley link, and it looks like AirPod case. I should probably not put that over there because I don't forget it. I'll walk into the house and (laughs) turn my whole day up. But what this does is it acts as a, uh, in between my pump and my CGM. So I have a Dexcom and a Omnipod and this thing in conjunction with the software that you have to kind of build yourself, but they walk you through it. Yeah. Your iPhone, it acts as an interface to, it basically is my insulin pump now. And so there's an algorithm that you help set up and then it adjusts your
0: yeah it does everything for you or it's supposed to I mean it doesn't do everything loosely that's and not fair
1: yeah I had I actually had that misconception when I first started I thought okay this is going to be like a you know like they're ta- everybody's talking about learning AI AI is like a learning yeah. it, it's not there yet it's not going to learn what your patterns are and change based on that you still have to set it but you give it parameters like you don't want it to drop below here you don't want it to yeah drop to here and it, it'll adjust based on the Insulin sensitivity ratio that you give it. Um, you, you have to work all that out uh, on the front end, but once you figure it out, it's like a game changer. So
0: okay, so Omnipod Dash, I think, or whatever they're calling it, number five, I, whatever. <laughs> I can't keep up because there's so much going on. On OG, uh, you're the OG. But will when that does come out, will you switch because it'll be a you won't have to carry the the, the device?
1: Yeah, I, well, probably. I I like Omnipod because they're very progressive. They're they were the yeah. first. To, to embrace this emerging technology, whereas all the other ones were trying to poo-poo it and say it's not safe. Omnipod was on board. So yeah, I'm on pro Omnipod and, and that new, I think it's called Horizon. Or something. Right, it might be Horizon, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I, I always like, I don't like to be an early adopter to an extent, but I think if that pans out, yeah, you know, I'll do that.
0: Yeah, and they've done enough. I mean, it's, it's just right around the corner, which lets you know that it will be FDA approved. <laughs> and so yeah. you won't have to be living the uh, OG life.
1: Although it makes me feel kind of like a renegade, which my wife
0: likes. (laughs) I do want to talk about your married life here in a second. But something that really, I'm going to say struck a chord in a positive way, or just made me think about something differently, is when we talk about low blood sugars and things like that, and I'm saying to the listeners that in our original conversation, we were talking about diabetes management, and Brett said... Well, I have been diagnosed with OCD. And so, because I will say, oh, I get really OCD about things, but I don't have that diagnosis. So being able to say that, it made me think, how does having OCD affect your diabetes management? And you talked about setting an alarm after treating a low. So can you talk a little bit about the combination of the two and how that, I mean, it makes things very different.
1: I question if it's a chicken or the egg thing. I mean, I, I don't know. I would be OCD without diabetes. And I don't, my diagnosis was, I'm not, one of these people that loves a diagnosis. Like, sure. I, I, I appreciate that it it's helped me at least kind of recognize some symptoms. But, right. you know, I think human beings are too complex to put into one box. But yes. as far as we manage, yeah, I realized that, that my OCD had gotten out of control. And what that, I mean, OCD comes in a lot of forms just to kind of clarify. It doesn't look like, like uh, remember that show Monk? Remember yeah. how it was? It was like quintessential kind of stereotypical OCD where, and that does exist, you know, where you got to wipe every doorknob, open the door 10 times, Yeah, open and shut. To fit. And that, those are all compulsions. I, I don't have any of that, which is probably why I went so long without being properly diagnosed. And the line between OCD and anxiety is, is they're very close cousins. So I just sure. always had anxiety, which I do. <laughs> but I probably would say maybe my OCD came from, if that's possible, if it can Kind of manifest as a result of living with diabetes, it would be that my need to because I went my early life, I was very negligent of my diabetes. I was a typical teenager living in denial, and just wanted to do whatever the fuck it is that I wanted. As I got older and I realized the repercussions of that, and I took more charge of it, I became very controlling of it um, yeah. to the point of being, uh, you know. And I, even then, I would use the I would use the the term OCD, although I would use it kind of flippantly. Yeah. But really, realistically. My constant need to look at what my blood sugar is doing because I have a Dexcom. This this is a, a this is kind of a, like a double-edged sword having this thing on, literally on my wrist. It helps my control is better. I don't know if it's. Mentally a health tool, you know, because yeah. it's it's a constant battle, and I've had to you know I, I've watched how my need to control this part of my life and, and ultimately having the ability to control this part of my life, how I've watched that parlay into other parts of life that I have no control over. and that's ultimately what OCD kind of comes down to is these inability to accept what you can't control and then obsessing about a way to control the uncontrollable.
0: I mean, that's diabetes in a nutshell. Absolutely. And the frustration with, and we use this terminology all the time, but you can do the same thing every single day and get a different result. Then you, I mean, I don't know about feeling like a failure, but you're like, what the hell did I do wrong today? Or what was the variation there or whatever? And it's just like, yeah. well, and I can say from personal experience too, and I look back at my high school years or different times where I was healthy in quotes, but if I didn't work out every single day, I was beating myself up mentally. And that was more vanity than anything else. But going back and looking at it on a diabetes perspective, and even like I haven't walked the past two days, I'm like freaking out because, yeah.
1: No, I I do too. I have the same. And that's not necessarily a bad problem. It sure is better than the contrary where you just neglected, but yeah, it, there's, uh, there's got to be a balance. And I, I don't know that I found it yet either, especially how it relates to diabetes I mean, with uh, exercise. Yeah. ever changing. If, if I don't get at least 20 minutes of walking a day, I feel at the end of the day, and I do see the, the, the repercussions of that too. I mean, I can maybe skip a day, but if two days like Rosemary, my wife and I went out of town this weekend and, and go <laughs> traveling is just Again. like almost, almost without, exclusion, it double downs on the difficulties of managing diabetes. And you, I mean, we weren't even doing anything that strenuous, but it was enough that like just the travel itself threw me for a loop. And we did a lot of walking. We went to Dollywood. We went to, and that's it like supposed to be like, you know, a happy place. And it was, and and we walked around a lot, but it was like, so then, okay, I'll just go off on a little. So right before I left, I made the mistake of asking, this is not a mistake. I'm glad I did this, but I went on the message board, a Facebook message board I've been staying on Facebook so I use my wife's account <laughs> I went onto the message board to ask about like what does everybody do when Because I haven't been to a theme park in ages I said what does everybody do when they go to a theme park do they I don't even know why I asked that to be honest I don't know what the, was the thought process was but I was like well surely there's a complication because <laughs> you know why should I be able to do anything <laughs> relatively normal Without there being some monkey wrench that gets thrown into it. And, sh- and of course it was helpful, but maybe I shouldn't have read it because then I had it in my head all whole time. It was this article on how any roller coasters that, that start to, you know, when you start experiencing geez, Never even
0: thought of that. Yeah.
1: gravitational pulls, it's, it can siphon more insulin out of your pump and give you more insulin you need. And you could have a low blood sugar. So then I'm like, shouldn't have read this. And then the next one was saying rides that use big magnet, big magnets, which is, yeah. All the- can actually make your mouth uh, your pump and your cgm malfunction
0: that's a fucking shit show i mean like i would never i don't like roller coasters anyway but that'd be like hell no
1: i don't think i like roller coasters anymore either for that reason (laughs) the the whole time at the park and god bless my wife because she loves roller coasters and she i just had to send her on a few of them by herself i was like i don't (laughs) think i like i I don't think i can do it plus you know that's a nice cop-out too just if there's like a scary roller coaster that i don't i don't want to admit to her that i don't have the guts (laughs) it's my it's my pump i probably shouldn't go on that he's gonna watch this later and be like i knew you were bullshitting me (laughs) but but no but legitimately that was a fear going through my head the whole time i was going like i was watching my my numbers and anytime i'd see it like a downward downward arrow i'd go fuck it was probably that it was probably that roller coaster and then i'm like thinking, well, that means it's, there was a major malfunction and I'm probably going to go into high, like <laughs> insulin shock. So you go down like the hardcore fear tunnel or yeah, like no the way. life which, is over. Which is, which is actually where OCD comes in. Oh, okay. One of the things we learned, because I, I jumped in all in last summer while in quarantine to this um, OCD program for about three months and rumination is one of the big things where you ruminate and you catastrophize. Okay. And it's basically recycling thoughts over and over and over. The recycling thought in this case being that I see a downward arrow and not it's not just that it's going down a little bit now and maybe not even going to go down that much, but I'm, it's trending down. It's that, holy shit, that magnet on that roller coaster that I just rode made my insulin pump completely malfunction. Mm-hmm. I've got way too much insulin in me. I've been walking around. I'm going to die. Right. That kind of shit goes through your head or mine.
0: And you know, I got to say, and I don't mean, I don't have kids, but if I had a kid with type one, I I wonder if you would take it to that level. Like I can't imagine putting my nine-year-old kid on a roller coaster with an insulin pump just because if, if I knew that I'd be fearful. So yeah.
1: I don't have kids either. We have cats. And to give you an example of my backyard now, because we live on a street with high traffic, my wife and I spent a weekend a couple of weeks ago building a perimeter around the fence on the top of the fence to prevent the cats from getting out. Like a netting? Yeah, uh, We didn't do the netting, we did PVC pipe. <laughs> we spent hundreds of dollars on three hundred feet of PVC pipe. And guess what? The cats still got out. So you can't control much, honestly. You can't <laughs> control much. <laughs> but God forbid if, if our kids when we have them have diabetes, I don't know. I mean, maybe my experience with it will, will give me now, you know what? It's probably gonna it's gonna be tough
0: that you can admit that it's not funny I mean it's just like
1: oh well, no but I mean not I,
0: realization it's like yeah this is going to be
1: a you wonder like what's what's better and more information less? when I was a kid I, I mean looking back I know my mom was sending me off to school in fear but she didn't have what you, what's available now where parents can watch,
0: watch everything
1: watch everything I think that's that might be worse yeah uh, I mean sure you might be pre- be able to prevent some some catastrophes that way but I mean when are you going to put the phone down and just stop.
0: (laughs) Okay. Two things that like when I was a kid, we lived in the country and we would leave for the day and just go like stroll the the creeks. Mm -hmm. I did not carry low blood sugar supplies. I didn't even know. I mean, like we just knew who to be home by dark. I don't think I took snacks. And I I mean, you think about happy to be alive. Good God. That's a, (laughs) my sisters would have had to drag me back to the house. I mean,
1: I think about that all the time. Yeah. So like, yeah. I, I, there's one trip in particular that my mom loves telling me. In fact, I think she forgets she tells me this like at least five times <laughs> a year. But it was shortly after my diagnosis. And my brother and I went for a tubing trip down the Brandywine River up in Delaware. And so there's two drop-off spots. There's a there's a short drop-off, you know, where the tubing, you know, there's a pickup down the river. Yeah. Start here, it's about two hours. If you start here, it's about six hours. We thought we were doing the two-hour one. So two hours later, my mom's down at the pickup place location waiting for us unbeknownst to any of us we actually did the six hour so my brother and i are just having the time of our life you know i've got diabetes and we've got a little cooler floating behind us with my insulin and snacks and everything i'm not thinking about that we're just cruising down this river for at this point five and a half hours having a great old time not even noticing the times going by and by the time we get to the end which had been about six hours there's my mom up on the bridge sobbing with (laughs) the park ranger because she was about this close they were about this close to sending out a search party because in her mind we were
0: like, low or something
1: my brother couldn't carry me you know <laughs> he didn't have he was my, my mom gave him a brief you know what to do if bread has a low blood sugar or whatever but right. uh, you know I mean she doesn't know so yeah that but I think about that I did so much of that shit as a kid and I bounced back without any issue like I yeah I, but I had less information too less maybe,
0: information okay, yeah. two questions on that briefly, when you were released from the hospital, did you, did you take take the reins of your diabetes management or did your mom help guide the way?
1: Mom was a big help. In fact, she I had no problem giving myself the injections. It, it was the finger stick I had a hard time with for a while. So she would come twice a day to my school and, and, and prick my finger to get readings. And what was it
0: about the pricking the finger?
1: It just hurt more.
0: Hell yeah, it did. devices at that point were a nightmare
1: yeah and I mean I didn't have the calluses that I have now I could do it you could do it all day I could be in a sound sleep and wouldn't even notice but but back then it was still raw tender skin oh yeah I never had a problem with the syringes actually the doctors were kind of like this is backwards he's sticking a syringe this long into his body with no problem a tiny little prick that he can't even see (laughs) but I think maybe around high school is when I maybe started taking agency for it but it not very well. It was kind of like my mom handing me over the reins saying like, you have to. Yeah. But she still had to kind of harangue me. And and I know she was worried because I did not do a very good job. But, you know, I mean, I survived and I was trying to be a teenager.
0: Well, we're going to talk about surviving here in a second. So now you how long have you been married?
1: Six and a half years.
0: Does your wife have any say or comments about your diabetes management? Does she see your numbers?
1: Oh, does she see my numbers? She has on her own Apple. She got an Apple watch to watch. She's a helicopter wife. (laughs) She knows more about this stuff than me. And I'm not joking. She came into it knowing nothing early on in our relationship before we were, you know, really getting serious. She was living in New York and I went to visit her and she had a cookbook for diabetics on the wall. She learned everything, at least the basics. And now she's going through the loop docs. That's what it's called for the for looping. The, the, the website has this thing called loop docs. And that's how you learn about what looping is. She's reading that stuff and going, <laughs> telling me about it. I got the basic function down. and She knows all of the jargon and, and she's educating me. So yeah, I mean, she won't bug me or and in no way would she ever make me feel like I'm doing something wrong She, as best she can for not having the d- disease empathize. Yeah. And, and tries to accommodate. It's a hard thing, though, to, to live with somebody with it. I, I can't imagine. I mean, I know what it's like to live with it. I can't imagine being the, the partner with somebody. Well, I
0: got to say, this is not a self-promotion, but I'm about to kick off a new project in, after the new year. And it's basically geared around, I've got to be careful how to say this, how to educate the spouse or the loved one of someone living with this disease. Because if, even though I would happily answer or entertain any questions from somebody in my family or a, a boyfriend or whatever... Maybe hearing it from a different group so you can educate yourself and not bother your partner. Mm-hmm. I think you know what I mean. So I kudos to her for taking the like, reins and just learning.
1: Type three group.
0: Yeah, which is you know the, all the new ter- terminologies there. So I want to get into the fact that one of the things you also said that I think was really impactful is when we talk about diabetes being manageable or thrive we thrive and all these things. You said, correct me if I am wrong. Type one is survivable. And I want you to explain that because I couldn't agree more. And the way that you, how you articulated it. it, really made sense. And maybe another way of us, a good what somebody needs to hear this today. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that.
1: Messaging is important, and I wouldn't say what what I started was a campaign because it wasn't ever meant to be that, and it's, right. and it's still not. But ultimately, the last few years particularly have been. It's it gets harder as you get older, just like everything. And I kind of hit a wall. Back in February, we t- we another attempt at a vacation that just went horribly wrong. Not nothing uh, with the logistics of the vacation. It was just my diabetes just decided not to cooperate again. Yeah. And I kind of had a breakdown because it was like all I wanted was an escape from, I mean, everything going on in the world, yeah. of course, but more so just a long overdue escape from this thing inside me. And when it went poorly, I just had a complete break. And, and I think while we were there, it was a trip to, to Florida. We're surrounded by beauty. And most of the time I just had to s- sit inside and watch movies because I just felt awful.
0: Is it your blood sugar is high or low? Or is it a roller coaster? Uh, yeah.
1: And, you know, like I said, I, I am a anal retentive blood sugar monitor. I adopted this loop technology because it fit my lifestyle of like, no, I want to harness this thing. So I'm not negligent. So while watching Hulu or something in this little vacation home a commercial came on for, it was a diabetes commercial and i don't remember which treatment or drug it was for but the happy faces that were being portrayed in the commercial just like it just pissed me off cuz i'm like this is not at all this is not a mirror of what i'm going through right now or most of the time ever yeah. and that's just such bullshit right so the the two the juxtaposition of those two things and then the way i was feeling and ultimately i was talking to my therapist about it cuz I, I was doing therapy at the time, you know, and her whole approach was to help me try to to find a catharsis for this. And she knew that I was a writer and, and, and so she kind of encouraged me to put it into word. So on that drive home from Florida, I started listening to a podcast, some several podcasts. I might've listened to yours actually. Uh, I was just kind of like binging on diabetes related podcasts. And it got me thinking like, I need to just say this for myself and and maybe some other people need to hear it, which is that I'm really, and I'll preface this with the caveat that I understand and appreciate why we try to reframe or frame this disease is and, and the ability that we should have to live a full life. I understand that and I support it and I try to adopt it. On the same token, I think we send out a an alarming message to newly diagnosed people and then people that have been living it for with it for a long time, which is that your life can look like this, fill in the blank. And it just doesn't. It just doesn't. Some days it may. Yeah. But it's really unfair to ourselves to think that we're supposed to live up to this canned standard of of what diabetes management is based on any number of things, how we eat or exercise, or if we take this drug that they're trying to sell us. And while I'm appreciative of the pharmaceutical industry and the biotech industry for everything that they've done for us, I don't like the messaging. And I think diabetes is manageable. It has been shoved down my throat since I was a kid. That was the one thing that was like the one lifeline that that shitty endocrinologist that I had when I first got diagnosed was that it was manageable. His tone, of course, was very different. It was like, it's manageable if you do the work, if you do the work and your life sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we still, we've been carrying that message. And I realized that for kids, maybe they need to hear that, but they also need to hear that it's okay that it's gonna suck sometimes. And maybe a lot of the times, because I I think that that is actually not only gonna be more empowering for the person to own the fact that this is shit sometimes and not try to paint a pretty picture about it. But it's also, it also hinders progress to put that messaging out for other people, for non-diabetics that, because I can't tell you how many, I mean, I have lifelong friends and family that up until I started being really vocal about it, Just assume that this was easy, Yeah. you know? And it's because, first of all, I'd been indoctrinated with this messaging. So then I'm like regurgitating it, maybe because I want to hear it or think it myself, or maybe just because it's just easier or whatever. It's so programmed. But that's doing a disservice to myself and to them because they don't know how to help me. And they also, if the public, if the general public consensus is that, oh, type one is, we got that. It's manageable. then there's not going to be any public demand for progress. Right. we're going to continue to, you know, just settle for whatever technology exists at the time knowing that it's poss- much better things are possible but this incremental progress is what we've come to accept which is all, you know that's that ties into the loop thing we are not waiting because we've known for over a decade that the technology that we're now using still not FDA approved has been available if there was a public demand for it and if the companies knew that there was a way that they could just jump over the incremental progress and just give a big life change. I mean, you know, yeah. not, it sounds a little conspiratorial, but like <clears throat> sell them the treatment, not the cure, kind of thing.
0: Uh, and, that's well said.
1: And again, I'm not. I don't mean to speculate on that, but but I do think that it's pretty clear that when a whole community of of people came together completely with no profit motive and managed to create a technology that these big pharmaceutical companies with billions of dollars in R and D could have done, that's actually infuriating.
0: Oh, so. there's so many things to say to that.
1: Yeah. And so ultimately, what you're referring to is I, what came out of that is that I realized that I'd been using social media to occasionally spurt off about diabetes, but I wanted a place where I could do it because I realized mm-hmm. that Instagram in particular had become a really powerful tool for mm-hmm. community members. So I created the handle T1 Diabetic, which I can't believe was available, but... <laughs> I just wanted a place where I didn't have to, if I wanted to talk about something else, I could do that somewhere else. And I'd barely use social media at all anymore. But at the time I was using it more. So I wanted a place that I could be part of that community, part of that discourse right. specifically for diabetes. So I put this, is, made this one post, first thing I ever posted and for better or worse, uh, and I hate the word, but it went kind of viral in the sense that so much of the community latched onto it. Majority speaking, it was, it was people that were grateful that somebody said it Right. And I, and unbeknownst to me, there was already a bit of a undercurrent of this pushback, you know, and I had never heard the term toxic positivity until then, but people were retorting and saying, this is the best answer to toxic positivity. And I was like, didn't know this was a thing, but I'm glad that there's a pushback because yeah, we can do things. You and I are sitting here talking. We've lived long lives already and we're both, I mean, I, I think I'm pretty healthy, all things considered. I think you are, but it's hard as shit and I don't want to lie about it anymore. So, yeah. That's the long way of saying yes. I think type 1 is survivable. Manageable is a sugar-coated way of putting what the true day-to-day of living with type 1 is.
0: Well, and I have to say on that too, until I started the diabetes daily grind in the podcast. I mean, 30 I lived for 30 plus year 30ish years suffering in silence. And it took 15 years of counseling and a wellness retreat and all kinds of things for me to be able to talk about it. So with that being said, I think one of the things that I really try to push and kind of like to mirror what you're saying is there are, it's okay to be upset. It's okay to be angry. I hope that you choose to share your thoughts or to find a, I'm going to say a positive way of just working through it, but it's also okay. Some days just to lay in bed and be upset. I mean, no one, when you're diagnosed says, Hey, it's okay to be mad. I mean, You got dealt a, a bad hand and I don't like that terminology necessarily, but Instead of come on, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You've got this. You can be happy. You know this is a matter of the, your proper way of thinking. And I'm just like, someday you just want to say, you know what? Fuck off. I haven't slept in two days. And... That's a
1: very fucking nice way of saying it. Fuck yeah. off. You know, and a lot of it's well intentioned, and yeah. I I don't fault anybody for. But if they if if then when faced with the truth, if they still want to push back with that jargon and that those sound bites. That they've been. Yeah. Then it's like, okay, that's not okay anymore. I'm I'm trying to be as transparent as possible about what this is actually like. If you if you don't want to accept that because it's hard for you to hear or it makes you uncomfortable, that's your problem. That's not mine.
0: Oh, I'm I totally agree. And we can't control other people's life, thoughts. Day,
1: right. I'm fighting for my life day and night, and I'm also fighting for progress.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that it is podcasts like this that will hopefully help drive that because our okay. voices and how we're thinking about things should be driving the market. Should be driving. Future progress. I'd like to believe that we're well on our way. And when this podcast comes out, I just released one with the three insulin pump therapy leaders, and we talk about this subject extensively. and how we, as people living with a disease disease, and those who don't, how do we value and how do we look at the word progress in daily diabetes management, that's a lot to say. I will say that one of the things that I also really enjoyed about our conversation is you're a singer-songwriter. and so, you have pursued diabetes or not, but you know that it does affect how you, you know your daily activities in your profession, but you have been very successful in your career, correct?
1: Again, that's a relative term. Yeah, sure.
0: Yes, guess as an outsider's perspective, I would see you as a successful
1: yeah, musician. I make a living doing what I love. So I think by that measure of success, absolutely. And that came with sacrifice and it also came with compromise. Um, which is something I still work through, like as far as accepting. I decided early on that the touring life of, of a musician is is just not for me. It, just, it wasn't congruent with good health for me. I couldn't do both. Hell, oh. like, I can't even go to Dollywood without having a fucked up weekend. Like, I'm not going to go tour and live in a van. I've, I've tried that. And, I, you know, when I was in my early 20s, it was actually – it was also – hard but you know you're kind of invincible yeah but that was very short-lived no I I decided early on and I've always loved production and studio life so I was kind of doing the two like in tandem I was pursuing a a career as a a touring songwriter while also I had built a studio and was operating that and, and I always kind of preferred the studio life i didn't know why at the time i think in retrospect it's because well i feel better when i'm healthy and i'm not pushing myself to the max having said that i have a few friends that are touring musicians and they admit that it's very hard but they've chosen to do it and kudos to them i it's just a lifestyle thing for me that i've found that it's again like how much of my life can i control to make the quality of my life better and being out on the road you are at the mercy of so many elements so many elements that's so true But yeah, ultimately I'm, I'm, I'm glad it is something I've just like everybody, you know, you start to look back and think like, should I have spent more of my time on that? And I've, I've dabbled with that. I've entertained that self-torment long enough. And I I think I'm pretty satisfied with just being able to work, do production and, and, you know, work in the studio at the end of the day. And even in the middle of the day, I I know where my food is, is. like if I need to get up and take a walk, I can do that, but I don't have to. I don't have all the other stressors to make it even more difficult. Oh, go ahead. At the end of the day, the trade-off for the things, the vision that you had for your life—if you're not enjoying it because you're not feeling well—was it worth it? That's the question I had to ask myself. Hell I was yeah. so the dream that I might have had in my head. Well, I've I've lived some of that, and it didn't. I didn't feel well. And if I'm trying to be present and enjoy the moment of that's passing, then I yeah would feeling well, and that's ultimately the goal.
0: Okay, and so one of the questions I've asked past podcast guests, and we'll wrap up here in just a second, is with either whether you're an athletic person or you're on stage in theater or whatever everyone has a i would like to believe and i know that when i give a speech and stuff like that i have a goal blood sugar now let's be honest that's a shit show in itself because it's never going to be there but where do you feel your best in going into let's just say songwriting
1: clearest i think i understood the question give it to me one more time
0: okay so let's just say that i'm about to go up on stage and give a speech. Mm-hmm. I want my blood sugar to be between 140 and I oh, would say 170 because that's where I know I'm still going to be like get my shit together. I'm not going to be too low to where I'm like sloppy and too high to be just angry. So
1: you know, you know why I spaced out right there? Is <laughs> because your blood sugar's low. Well, I, I have Alexa set up to display my sugar on the screen every oh, yeah. evening, 20 minutes, and I looked at it and I was like, uh. And then I just completely zoned out, and I'm sorry, but that's no,
0: that's that's okay. That's real life. What is? If, can I ask what your blood sugar is right now? It's
1: 150. It's it's fine. No,
0: yeah, that's fine. great. I got to look at mine because I just ate something that I probably well, I should have eaten. But okay, so where do you feel your best? Ooh, I'm high.
1: <laughs> Clearly not 150. Or yeah, I. <laughs> I so this is something that I, I used to measure when I was when I was performing live because there. You and I talked about this before. The stress of having to perform or go up on stage. Yeah. Does one of two things. Usually it jumps you way up. But that's what it does to me at least. Yeah. Spike my sugar and there goes my cognition. Like any version of articulation that I was, it's gone. Right. And so there's either that or, you know, in my profession it was lugging a lot of heavy gear, which then made my sugar drop. So then it was having oh. having a, a big drop before. So it was always this constant tug of war trying to get it into the magic spot, which I think I was tending to want it to go higher. Yeah. Better than crashing. I almost passed out on stage in front of the Nissan Stadium here. This was like ten, ten years ago. It was June. It was a swampy night right on the river, and it's hot as hell down here in Tennessee in June. I was already sweating, so I couldn't. It was kind of masking my low blood sugar. Oh yeah. But then I just noticed I could not remember the words, and I'm spinning out. I think that might have been when I, right around the time I made the decision to, to change my whole lifestyle. But you know, I, I'd say like 120, but 120 with with a little bit of food in me. Yeah. You know, because if it's 120, I haven't eaten in a while. There's a good chance it's going to drop. Yeah. Or the stress of it's going to send me up. I mean, there's just so many factors. 120 is like where I don't have to worry about it being low quite yet. Yeah. So maybe that's one less preoccupation that'll allow me to have some kind of clarity. Yeah. You know, but no, if it's over 180, even if I don't know it's over 180, like if I don't look, I you can usually tell because I just can't I can't articulate. Or my wife knows when my sugar is high before I do a lot of times because I get Jeez. grumpy. Make any sense?
0: Okay. Do you? How often do you? Would you say that you check your CGM every five minutes? Is it something that you have to so work I was a, on?
1: When I was in OCD camp, they had me set a timer where I couldn't look at it unless I have was, was on a really uh, unstable day. I wouldn't look at it. I had to set a timer for I think thirty minutes. Like you can't look at it until the timer goes off. So I, since then, I've gotten. I don't use the timer anymore, but I I try to make a conscious point to only look at it about every thirty minutes. If my watch has a sensor that. Tells me how long, like you know, the screen time, which I don't have on because I don't want to know, it's probably like every five seconds. I'm not bullshitting. This is the problem with having it on your on your wrist. Sometimes I I look to see who's texting me and it's nobody's texting me except my blood sugar's moving. Yeah. So it buzzes, and now all of a sudden I'm thinking about what my blood sugar is.
0: And it's one of those things like the blessing and the curse, because with the advancements in technology and having access to your blood sugar on your wrist or in your car or Alexa and all those things. Yeah, it's awesome because it can prevent a lot of stuff that can also mentally exhaust you.
1: I don't know if you've had this, but I have phantom symptoms hmm. where if I see the number, like I won't feel any symptoms until I see the number. And the minute I see the number, I feel the symptom. Like My sugar may have been high for two hours, and but it's not until I see the number that I suddenly feel sick.
0: Isn't that a truck?
1: Yeah. Or vice versa. I've had it where I, the, the number is inaccurate and I feel the symptom and I'm like, wait a second. There's no way it's 250 and I'll check it again. And it's like 120, but suddenly just seeing the number brought the symptom on. I mean, that's a kind of dog shit right there.
0: Well, I got to say, cause I had never had, and I, this is so embarrassing to say, cause I'm so involved in the community, but I didn't know what compression lows were. Yeah. And there was a few, it was a few weeks ago and I just kept having bottom out blood sugars in the middle of the night. Well, it says low and I, I see all the little dots down or whatever the trend graph. And so I would just go and treat it. Not thinking, Amber, you probably need to check it. So then 2 hours later, I would have another like hardcore low. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, what's going on in my hormones in the middle of the night? Well, then I learned... Of, and then at one point, it, I had a sensor error or whatever. And I was like, I'm just going to test my blood sugar. It was 190. And I'm like, thank God. Because I was like, maybe I'm no longer feeling any of these lows. Because normally, I would sweat through my clothes. I mean, some crazy stuff. And I was like... So now, that was a good life lesson for me that if I ever have see that trend again it's time to calibrate or it's time to just check it out to make sure because trust your body a little bit too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The compression uh, low thing was, was actually news to me too. With the, with, in the last few months, I just didn't know if I, I find it. If I put this Dexcom on my arm, I get a lot of those because I. will sleep on one side. But
0: yeah. I can't even go into that because I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so sick of all that. Here's the last question for you for real. And this is one that I've started to ask all of my podcasts podcast guest because we in a, uh, I don't know, 10 episodes ago, we started talking about food deserts, And so I'm asking every guest, do you have access to healthy? And I mean that as in fresh fruits and vegetables within a 10 mile radius. Yes. Five mile radius. Hold on. Let's back that up because nobody's going to walk 10 miles to get a fucking cucumber. Pardon uh, my language.
1: <laughs> five miles within walking distance. We have an Aldi and that's, okay. probably, yeah, it's a little bit farther to get like proper local fresh stuff but we've been doing since pandemic started we've been doing a lot of deliverable, like deliverable stuff yeah so, i mean we'll go out of our way to find fresh stuff but no i mean yeah there's we live in a food desert for sure and you wouldn't think it in nashville right which is still burgeoning and gentrifying so they're coming but it's mostly juice bars everybody people don't want to chew their vegetables anymore and i love juice don't get me wrong but I would like to just have the kale. There's a lot of CSAs near us. Yeah. We're, we're uh, in an area that there's not far from a bunch of farms. So that's, well, that's cool. good. Yeah. But we do a lot of CSA veggies.
0: And that whole thing came up because in, I would the more downtown areas and things like that, your only access to those types of things are either getting on a bus, going to a gas station, or you know dollar trees and dollar generals and things like that are popping up in, in smaller spaces and things like that. And so I just can't imagine living in an area to where you couldn't go and get lettuce. I mean, anyway, that's on my own soapbox. That does nothing to do with anything, but I just, I want to make sure that people have access to things and that it's affordable, just like our medications and all of our technology to live your best life. And when you're told you have to do diet exercise, blah, 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 blah. Well, if you only have access to two of the five that your doctor telling you in order to be a healthy person living with diabetes, you're already set up for failure. Like right. what, a, what a blow. I mean, yeah,
1: yeah, whatever. Yeah. We have uh what is that? Is it insured? No, what is that? Insure. Is, insure. I, is it insured that they, they recommend for glucose control?
0: Oh, there's like, glycema or glycerna. Yeah. Yeah
1: you yeah. Have, yeah, you just drink chocolate milk all day.
0: I'm not even going to that. Not even going there. Well, Brad, is there anything else you want to say before we get off? I appreciate you taking the time and I uh, thank you for talking about the O C D diagnosis and things like that just because that's not the reason for this episode, but I think for some people, and it made me think about my daily rituals and things like that, and how I think about things.
1: Good, I think we probably covered it, uh, but you know, I just, I mean, my words of encouragement to anybody living with this are just be honest, because everything that I just said, you know, I don't want that to uh, dissuade anybody from, feel, or you know, make anybody feel guilty if they if they feel like empowerment words are helping them. Yeah, that's I Want to be clear about because whatever actually does empower you whether that's speaking very transparently or if it's self-talk with positive affirmations yeah do whatever works I appreciate that my, my, my second endocrinologist the one that's changed my whole worldview on diabetes his whole catchphrase was whatever works like I kept saying can I do this he's like whatever works we'll try it whatever works and I've been kind of living by that ever since so
0: I love that message and I wish and I hope that maybe this episode will help the medical community think about that, those words of empowerment, because that obviously struck a chord with you. So yep. it's about how you speak to your patient. Well, again, Brett, thank you so much. I look forward to seeing all of these successful things that you do in the music world. And um, and if you guys want to learn more about Brett and all of his adventures in the music world and, and above and beyond that, you, they'll be in the show notes. So
1: thank you, Amber. This has been really fun, actually. It's a, it's a very catharsis, very cathartic way of getting all this blow off our chest.
0: And I'm going to heavily encourage you and we'll set it up for you to come and visit um, one of the Real Life Diabetes Virtual Happy Hours. Maybe you could play us a tune or join in on something because we are we have a really good time.
1: I'll I'll stomp away at a drum or something. (laughs) All
0: right, I'll send the invite. Okay, have a good week.
1: Thanks, Amber. All right, bye-bye.
0: I learned so much from this interview. Brett's ability to recognize and articulate what is going on both mentally and within his diabetes management was eye-opening to say the least. Thank you, Brett, for sharing your story. Before I wrap up, I have a few quick reminders. Number one, don't forget to click on my Amazon banner before shopping. It's easy. All you have to do is look for my tattoo. It doesn't cost you a thing and throws a little change my way. Number two, my affiliate page would love to feature your brand or service. So hit us up at Penelope at DiabetesDailyGrind.com for details. Number three, I know you're listening and thank you. So be kind and throw a little change my way. Funds raised help keep the website, podcast and advocacy efforts afloat. All you have to do is click on the donate link in the show notes. And finally, you guys know that I'm here for my diabetes and the medical community. So feel free to contact me on any social media platform or directly. At amber at diabetesdailygrind.com. Your continued support and love help keep the episodes coming. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone.